listening to Sharp Scratch, episode 45, New Life. This is a podcast brought to you by the BMJ and sponsored by Medical Protection, where we bring together medical students, junior doctors and expert guests to discuss all the things that you need to know to be a good doctor that you might not get taught at medical school. I'm Nikki and I'm the editorial scholar here at the BMJ and I'm also a medical student at the University of Manchester. And I'm excited to be joined today by my good friends, Chidera and Anna. Anna, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi everyone. Um, my name's Anna. I'm a final year medical student at King's College London and I'm very excited to be here um, talking about New Life because I'm also president of a society called the British Undergraduate Society for Obstetrics and Gynaecology. So uh, yeah, it's an area of interest of mine. Amazing. Thanks for joining us, Anna. And Chidera. Uh, hi, I'm Chidera. I'm a junior doctor, very junior doctor, working at Imperial Healthcare Trust. Um, I'm currently working in the neurosurgery department, but I do remember do, uh, a very long obs and gynae placement at university, actually, that I did really enjoy. Amazing. And I'm delighted to also be joined today by our expert guest, Professor Lucy Chappell. Lucy, do you want to introduce yourself to our listeners? Thanks, Nikki. I'm Lucy Chappell. I'm an NIHR research professor of obstetrics at King's College London, and I'm a consultant obstetrician at Guy's and St Thomas's NHS Foundation Trust. It's great to be here today. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. So essentially, today we want to talk a bit about babies. Um, I guess being present for a birth for the first time is probably quite a key moment in your career. Um, on this podcast, we like to talk a lot about things that you don't really learn at medical school. And I suppose in some ways, this topic is a bit of an exception because at med school, you do try to, they do try to teach you what you need to know to be a good doctor in like the realm of births. But after all, there is still like a bit of a gap between learning all of the right things and then experiencing it for the first time. So Anna and Chidera, I know you've both spent some time on obs and gynae and you'll definitely know a little bit more than me because I haven't had an obs and gynae block yet. So I'll be asking you both lots of my questions in a bit, partly so I can save this episode up to listen back to next year when I go back before my obs and gynae block. But first of all, Lucy, do you still remember the first time that you were present for a birth? I remember my undergraduate block really well because it was that block that forged made me fall in obs and gynae and I remember it for several reasons um most of all because it was the first time I encountered a different approach to what you might call patients because pregnant women are generally not patients they are well women who um come into contact with the healthcare system at a really pivotal moment in their life but they're not there for a disease that they're usually because they're well and and having a baby although some pregnant women do have medical complications so I remember my births but I also remember some um, really phenomenal teachers who transformed my career path because they they got me seeing medicine a bit differently and and women differently and that's why I'm where I am today Oh, that's amazing. So going back to that first block and you were talking a bit about like all of the um, amazing things that you saw, do you still, do you remember how you felt seeing those things and do you still get those same emotions now? Yes. Every birth that I am part of, I still get that sense of usually excitement, although I do look after a, a, a group of women with high risk medical problems. So it isn't always, and we can talk a bit more about that. But I've always said that if I stop feeling that anticipation, 
and um, that surge of adrenaline, then it's probably time to stop obstetrics. I should still feel a sense of what that woman is going through. It is one of the biggest days of her life. And, and if you ever become immune to that, then then you've got to re-examine your relationship with, with obstetrics as a specialty because you need to be present for that woman and that family in, with that frame of mind. Professional, but just, it still moves me every time and and I'm fine with that that's really amazing way to think about it I think I guess you must have also in your time seen lots of medical students have their first experience with birth like what is that generally like for people I think the experience is very varied um as as medical students and doctors we are privileged to be there at some really um major moments whether it's birth or death and and those are extraordinary moments. Um, so for birth, uh, there is such a wide range of births. And I think um, how it's done is crucial. Um, so both integrating the medical student into that journey. Now, even as junior doctors, you may often have snapshots, snapshots of that woman's pregnancy journey. So when you t- turn up for the culmination of nine months work kind of um, it can be quite hard to to be parachuted into that and particularly uh, because sometimes we say quick room seven it's she's about to have a baby then then that's a few minutes in what is a nine months journey so I it is still um, there is still something very special about that moment when a baby is born whether vaginally or by cesarean or or by whatever method but it's got to be seen in the bigger context of uh, uh, for that woman. So I think what I see from, from medical students is um, both depends on that context and how much they understand the wider context, but also their personal journey and what they bring to it, both in terms of um, uh, sort of from the from the medical perspective, what, you know, what, what where they want to, to be in, you know, and particularly um, are they interested in, in, in pregnancy and the birth journey, um, but also often their personal journey? And I, I think we should recognise that we're all humans and that's what I bring to it. I've, I've had three babies. So, of course, I, I you know, th- there's no doubt that I bring my personal journey and we all do, whether that relates to birth or illness or death or, or any other part of medicine. Anna and Chidera, do you guys remember the first birth that you were present for? Yeah, so it was in fifth year, which at Cambridge is when we do sort of all of our women's health. Um, And I mean, it was sort of um, like you were saying, um, I was on the ward and I'd been on the obstetrics ward for maybe three or four days and had not been lucky enough to be around when somebody gave birth. It was a bit of a potluck. And I know some of the other students had literally um, done night shifts just to hope that they could catch someone um, when they deliver. And one of the nurses basically just pulled me (laughs) into this room um, with a woman who was screaming and swearing quite loudly (laughs) um, at her husband and just generally <laughs> in the into the environment um and when the baby eventually arrived it was actually a th- i think a pretty uh smooth birth she was she'd been admitted because i think she was uh slightly overweight and had some gestational di- diabetes um but otherwise the birth itself actually went really well i don't think she required anything 
extra um and I don't know why but as soon as a baby cry, uh, cried I started crying um and I had that for the rest of my placement like even for cesareans as soon as I heard the baby cry I would burst into tears um so I'm not sure what that means for any potential future of Cetric career um but yeah it was really really emotional yeah that was my next question I was going to ask you how it made you feel but you've touched on the crying and um <laughs> and you said that carried on throughout the whole placement every single time no genuinely what about you Anna yeah I, de- I definitely got teary the first time I saw a birth um but I was quite I guess um Tadera just did the air quotes around lucky as well I was very lucky in that I actually had seen um births before I went to medical school um so my mum was training to be a midwife around the time that I was doing my GCSEs um and that was how I managed to get work experience in the hospital um and it was on an obstetric ward and I still remember the consultant um bringing me into theatre to see a, a section list and the first time I honestly still get emotional thinking about it. I was getting emotional just hearing Lucy talking about her still getting emotional because it's just so amazing. Like, and now that's such a long time ago. Like that person who was born is walking around in the world somewhere. And I always will have been there when they took their first breath. Like, I just think it's amazing. And then when I went into actually part of the reason I chose Kings was because before they changed the curriculum, they used to do this longitudinal module where you would actually um, be paired up with a woman at the beginning of her pregnancy and kind of go through those steps with her. Um, They don't do that anymore, unfortunately. Um, But it was definitely something that appealed to me about Kings. That's really Um, nice. And yeah, I I didn't want to be one of those people who was like very set on a specific specialty. Um, I tried to keep an open mind. But yeah, then when I did my Orbs and Gynae block during... um, I did it at KCH actually, Lucy, um, and yeah, I, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to do anything else. So some things just pull you back in, don't they? <laughs> yeah, Lucy, what are your thoughts on the um, block that Anna was talking about, where you're paired with a woman for the full nine months? And I think there's a lot to be yeah. I, I think there's a lot to be said for that for that um, concept in, in pregnancy but also in other areas. And it's a bit like either seeing cross-sectional data or longitudinal data. And not that pregnant women are data, they are they are human beings. But the point is, is that you get a very different um, perspective when you've, you've seen someone through that journey. And one of the things that, as a consultant, one of the realisations that dawns on you when you start doing your, your own antenatal clinics is that you're going to follow those women through a pregnancy. And you take a sort of um, responsibility for helping her, guiding her through that journey, that if you are just seeing people on a one-off, you might fix the here and now, but you don't have the umbrella view of, of how can you help. And so not only do you see her through a pregnancy, she she can come back for another one. And to, to, when you first see the women, as a new consultant, when you first see the women who have you've already seen through one pregnancy, that's also really special because you, you start to get a window into their lives um, in a way that I know that those in primary care often do and that people in, in GPs often talk about the the privilege of sharing much more than a snapshot outpatient clinic appointment but but a nine-month journey where 
women start to tell you things that you don't hear otherwise and you have to make space in a consultation to hear what the women might tell you about and and this goes back to my undergraduate experience of when the the consultant obstetrician and gynecologist introduced me to the idea of what was said in a consultation but also what was left unsaid that you may or may not want to explore and why this matters is that that pregnancy care is about more than just this sort of tight clinical model it's about the much wider psychosocial issues that a woman might be facing the interaction with with a family so um, her partner her the rest of her children and it brings the realization that when we do a consultation or when we're at a birth that's just one tiny part so so a really good example is the woman's expectations of a birth and there is a lot sort of um, fueled by media, friends, other experiences. And women may come with a either a very sort of loose expectations. So understanding that there is quite a lot of uncertainty during birth. But sometimes as a result, I think of the messages that we out, they come with a with a quite a tight and narrow expectation. And then it's hard if, if they they don't those, those expectations aren't met. So we want to provide a high quality maternity service in the UK, and there is much more that we can do and that we are striving to do to, for that to happen. But for women understanding what we and they can control about a birth and also what is that 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 uncertainty and what is controllable is is maybe important. I think I've strayed from your original question, Nikki, but you, you know it took me off on on some forks in the road. All really valuable valuable things to think about, though I think for our listeners. Um, so by complete chance today, because of timetables and everyone's availability, we have a fab but all female panel. Um, but I did think it would be interesting to get a male medical student's perspective on all of this as well. So I had a little chat with Ollie, who's a med student at the University of Leeds. So I spotted you on Twitter because you'd tweeted a little bit about life as a male medical student on an obs and gynae block and that you thought it was it felt a little bit pointless. Um, you've told me that since then your views have changed a bit, but just talk me through what your initial thoughts were when you wrote that. So a little bit on the background of that tweet, I'd just finished my first sort of four days on obs and gynae block in a district general hospital up here in Yorkshire where I'm studying. And... In that first four days on on the gynaecology side of things, I'd spent more time outside um, consultation rooms, outside rooms on the wards, and hadn't I wasn't really feeling very good about the placement as a whole. That's through no fault of anybody. Um, that's just the way things go occasionally, and it's something that I was very much aware of going in to my obs and gynae block that a lot of male students especially that I'd spoken to previously had found that when they were on their their block they'd spent a lot of time outside of the consultation room outside of bays on the ward just because patients didn't feel comfortable with them being present and so I did what I probably sometimes do a bit too much of which is tweet about it and the wording of my tweet was pretty clumsy. I said that life as a male medical student on an obs and gynae block can, it feels quite pointless. And while I, I regret tweeting it in those kind of t- 
terms, the conversation that that stimulated was really, really interesting and sort of attracted attention from both professionals working within obstetrics and gynaecology, both medical and midwifery, but also from patients and partners of patients who have, have been seen through those services and who have accessed those services. So when you said that you um, spent a lot of time on the corridors and outside, was that because patients weren't giving consent for you to be present in consultations? or Yeah, or, or... Predomin- predominantly because patients were offered the... obviously made it very clear who I was whenever I was with other healthcare professionals in clinic. And a lot of patients made it very, very clear that they weren't comfortable with a with a student present so i i understand why that was the case but i i was kind of conflicted in the sort of i need to be able to see what i need to see in order to achieve the goals that the placement set out for me but similarly you the last thing anyone with the best with the best intentions in the world best will in the world wants to do is to make any patient feel uncomfortable or their presence to be seen as something that makes people uncomfortable you mentioned that the responses to your tweet you learnt a lot from the responses from a variety of different people can you talk us through a couple of like, the highlights of things you mentioned that patients for example had responded to you so a lot of patients or yeah pay, it was a mixture of patients who had had quite varied experiences with healthcare professionals mm. and I think when I tweeted, I, I hadn't quite appreciated the extent to which some patients fear and have trepidation when it comes to seeing medical professionals, yeah. and especially when it comes to female patients with gynaecological or obstetric problems, seeing bring themselves in for what they know and what they anticipate is going to be quite an invasive invasion of their personal space invasion of their bodies by somebody else who they may not have ever met before um and a lot of the more poignant responses for me were when ladies responded that in they would in the same situation refuse a male medical student to be present because of past experience they'd had with men uh both in medical contexts yeah. and outside medical contexts, it shocked me to think that they'd had experiences with male medical practitioners who had mm. made them feel that uncomfortable, that violated, that they then had that impact moving forward to any future medical care they had. Okay, so. Lucy, what are your reflections on listening to that? That's hard to hear on a number of fronts. Um, And I think it reminds us how, as a community, there are many reasons to try and address uh, several of the issues that Ollie raises. Um, We need a diverse workforce in obstetrics and gynaecology who serve the needs of, of the women that we see. And what Ollie raises is how we can and and should all contribute to that. So um, I understand the perspective of the women who have had previous negative experiences with, um, uh, with a man either in a 
personal uh, context or a professional one. So we commit as healthcare professionals not to repeat that. Um, and both that it, that's not acceptable in in uh, in any sense. And uh, but then it's it's wrong to sort of add insult to injury by saying, well, you know, men, it, it's, uh, a man has to be there. So I, I respect the right, the right of women to say no, but it leads me to say, how do we then enable Ollie and his colleagues to be present at a birth? And a lot to do is, is how I introduce or a midwife introduces Ollie. So I talk about colleagues when, when I talk about medical students. I talk about, um, the importance of, of uh, all medical students, and it applies to midwifery students as well, um, understanding birth and, and how that can uh, positively shape their career. Many doctors won't go on to be obstetricians and gynaecologists, but they need that exposure um, as much as anyone who is, and, and, and arguably more because if you're you know, if that is going to be your experience of birth. So to try and see, to try and see, put myself in the woman's shoes and then say, how can I make this um, a, a, a more positive experience for, for women? We've been talking in this, this uh, recording about the impact of seeing a birth. And so perhaps using language to explain to women what that positive impact is and, and to explain they are part of a team and that they are not, you know, that, that 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 woman can change that medical student's day, week, month, year in a positive light. So just sort of reframing it, but but putting putting ourselves in the women's shoes, and then as healthcare professionals, doing everything we can to to include to include colleagues. I would like to think I don't discriminate on sex or gender or ethnicity or or any other characteristic. So just see people as as a person with another label, whether it, you know, and and I think if we we all take that approach across medicine, it will help. Definitely. Anna, what were your thoughts when you were listening to that? So I thought it was really interesting and um, particularly talking about sort of patient perspectives because because I'm interested in obs and gynae. I follow a lot of sort of patient advocacy groups and things on Twitter and and it is a really... I think heated area in some um, in some respects, um, and there's a lot of debate, and there's a lot of people who have been harmed by obstetric services, and that's that's just a fact that we we know that um, there was an embrace out this yeah, week, yes. wasn't it? Um, and you know, there's some big systemic issues um, around race, and I think that we have to be upfront about that as healthcare professionals, even healthcare professionals in training, um, and say, you know, what what can we do? Exactly as you're saying, Lucy, like, what can we do to make people feel more comfortable? And actually, it's something that we had a lot of discussion with, um, with the Obs and Gynae Society that I run amongst our committee. And, and one of the things that we have done is that we have made a commitment that every learning like educational webinar we do we always have patient um, a patient perspective as well as a professional perspective if we can't find a patient perspective then we we won't do the session until we found one um and I think people have really valued that um our most recent series has been for um webinars on different um sort of 
pathologies of pregnancy I suppose you would call it you know preeclampsia and things like that and we always have a patient perspective um and a lot of the feedback we've got has been like that's been really useful so I suppose that I've kind of it's a bit tangential really but I suppose what I'm trying to say is that there are other ways to understand people's perspectives as well as actually being there in the room um not that I'm saying we shouldn't enable people to be in the room but I think that there's a lot of other resources and and things out there that can help definitely what about you Chidera what are your thoughts I mean it, it is really interesting because as Lucy said for someone I know Ollie has an interest in surgery and and so do I so for me the obs and gynae placement will essentially be probably the only obstetric experience that I have ever um, and I'm incredibly grateful for it but I, I can understand from I guess the point of view of someone who has a very limited or restricted um, exposure during that period of time being a bit concerned because if that's if that's all you ever learn or at least are able to learn on the ward which we know is so much more valuable than what you can learn in a book um, I can understand feeling frustrated but on the other hand you know again pregnancy is such a private and can be such a trying time that I can understand from the patient's point of view why they may be slightly more cautious about who they want in the room so it's it is difficult, but I, I appreciate what Lucy said about, um, I guess, the senior in the room taking the time to frame it in such a way that, you know, at least the male medical students are getting a bit more exposure. Because I can remember when I was in medical school, it was a bit of a running joke that if you were a guy on an obs and gynae placement, you know, you might as well stay at home because you won't see very much. Well, you know, and people wouldn't want you in the room. So I think... I guess advocating from the point of view of the consultant or the registrar in the room and doing as best you can to make it more comfortable I think is is really useful to maybe breaking what for some people may just be a, a slightly more superficial social stigma slash barrier as opposed to I know for some people it may be on the basis of quite significant trauma but I know for me for example I might just be a, a little bit embarrassed about the you know a guy being there if I haven't got my trousers on or whatever um, and maybe someone framing that conversation when we start it in that way of introducing them as a professional colleague, I think would really help me feel more comfortable about that person being there. Sort of following on from that, Lucy, do you have any tips for medical students about gaining consent to be able to be able to observe? I think it's about how you approach it in terms of um, respecting both the healthcare professional colleagues and and then particularly the woman's perspective so rather I mean we slightly perpetuate this by the rushing students into birth rooms at the last minute and I and I I think approaching it from the how can I gain this woman's trust and how can I show the healthcare professionals that that seeing the birth is is it, it kind of is too much of a tick box because actually what you need to do is is to I think try and sit with a woman and and that's a hard skill and it's actually quite a hard skill for medics um particularly those of us who who like stuff quickly so so to go and sit with a woman in labor is is not a skill that we 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 see developed but if you're going to be part of a birth then understanding then the natural rhythm of labor and and which is what the midwives do uh is is i think a good step you can tick a birth by going to see a cesarean and that's generally more straightforward there's more people in the room it's it's an operation but i would i would argue that seeing a normal birth is is also a crucial part uh, even if our cesarean section rate is going up and is 
you know, 30, 35%. Most babies are born and it's a very different process. So I think taking the time to build the relationships with the healthcare professionals that allow you to find women who are comfortable, but also being prepared to sit in a room feels like you're doing nothing and sometimes doctors and, and uh, aren't very good at doing nothing so it's slightly counterintuitive we do stuff so so just understanding that you're going to fit with that woman's rhythms of labor and that it may be a little bit opener to you would be my my tips there's the sort of obvious things about showing that it's not just a tick box for you but uh, to to to, to to observe a birth but that you want to uh to try and understand why you're doing it which is to get a better understanding because you know if that's going to be one of only a few births you're going to see that that is your experience it probably will stay with you for the rest of your life for the reasons that and talk about um but but to work out how to make that experience count thank you we'll discuss a little bit more about being present in a birth but that will be right after this How much do you care about indemnity right now? Probably not a lot. You're still a few years away from really worrying about claims and complaints from patients. But being part of medical protection is about a lot more than just indemnity. We can be there if something goes wrong, but we're also here to help make sure things go right too. We're the only medical defence organisation that protects doctors all over the world. From London to Brisbane, Cork to Cape Town, 300,000 members benefit from our expert advice and support throughout their career. During your years at medical school, your membership is completely free. You'll get training resources that can help you become an even better doctor, plus a dedicated student team there for you when you need it most. And when it comes to your elective, you can trust in our international experience to protect you wherever you choose to go. It's no wonder that 90% of medical students in the UK choose to be part of medical protection. You can find out more at medicalprotection.org. Okay, back to the show. So when I was putting this episode together, I was thinking a bit about how, in my mind, seeing your first birth and your first death, I suppose, are also both quite big moments in your clinical career. I definitely think I'd be quite emotional for both of those. But also, sort of like we were just talking about, during a birth, I would be really worried that my presence is a bit invasive even with the consent of the patient because I guess sort of like what Lucy was just touching on a lot of the time medical students do feel a bit useless and a bit like a spare part sort of in the corner like on ward rounds we always joke about being the ones that just shut the curtains and we're not much like useful other than that I guess it might be a bit different when you're at Anna's stage like a couple of months off qualifying but definitely earlier on in your clinical career you, you can feel a bit useless and then a birth is such as we were talking about such a huge personal moment for the mother and their family so um how can you justify why you're there so I think I for the second birth that I saw when I had a little bit more time um I met the lady during the ward round and then I came back and took a really long history and to be honest, it kind of turned into a really long chat about, you know, how she had tried to conceive and previous experiences she's had and I think a previous miscarriage. And to be honest, I kind of, I think, just set myself up as like an emotional support dog slash medical student <laughs> for the day. Um, so, I mean, I'm someone who likes 
to get to know my patients and particularly support them emotionally even now. So, and I still consider that a very valuable aspect of my job alongside doing, I guess, the more clinical things. So I felt in a way still quite useful because um, I think her husband kind of was coming and going throughout the day, etc. And so actually I was probably spent more time with her that day than he did. And so I felt, well, at least she's not alone. And from that point of view, I felt like I was contributing something and hopefully she enjoyed or at least didn't wasn't annoyed by me being there yeah I guess you're right like a, a lot of the time the most useful thing a medical student can do is just sort of be there and listen I think that's something that we're always told patients value quite a lot because we have the time we're not needed to be physically doing other things so that's probably the most useful thing that we can do what do you think Anna? Yeah I totally agree like my experiences has been very similar to Chidera's like I spent a lot of time because I was interested in obs and gynae I spent a lot of time on the ward kind of the the healthcare professionals got to know me they would see me coming um and I would spend a lot of time with the women even when I was sort of going to c-section lists and things you know there's there's all that time while they're having the epidural and everything and um I would spend time talking to them um talking to their partners if they were there and I never encountered anyone who had then subsequently um, felt uncomfortable with me being in the room, which was really, really nice. I think that's probably an, probably an unusual experience, um, but I was very lucky. And yeah, holding hands and holding retractors is what <laughs> medical students are good for, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even now, I'm an SHO and I still think that's like 50% of my job. <laughs> <laughs> it's great though. Yeah. <laughs> At least you are useful. <laughs> The other really big thing that came up from sort of speaking to my course mates about this and my friends who are currently on OBS and gynae blocks is that students are often really worried that something might go wrong while they're in the room um, and sort of how that's handled and are you supposed to pitch in? Like, is there anything you can do? Can, are you meant to stand back? Do you leave the room? Do you get a chance to debrief afterwards? Lucy, can you reflect a little bit on like the practicality of that and what like the logistical reality yeah. might be for a student? I think it's, um, I'm going to sort of take the, the scenario where it's not expected. Um, and there are varying degrees of urgency. So, um, you know, everything um, varying from uh, the situation where the fetal heart rate stays down and you go into sort of, you know, drill for, for a fetal bradycardia and, and onwards. And, uh, and then those with a bit less urgency. I think um, I'll, I'll tell a a story from SHO days. So it was my first week as an SHO in Obs and Gynae. And I was in a birth room and the midwife delivered delivered the baby's head and then asked the mum to turn on to all fours and uh, delivered the rest of the baby. And uh, I sort of thought, didn't think much of it, but it transpired that the midwife had recognised shoulder dystocia so the sh- the head delivering and the shoulders getting stuck and as part of the manoeuvres had turned the women onto a fours which can help relieve shoulder dystocia. I had done nothing. I'd stood at the side as an SHO. I hadn't even recognised it. And I was sort of, it, it went through a big thing of, you know, why hadn't I acted? And I didn't even know what was happening. So I really have some empathy with that. What am I doing here? Am I helping? Am I hindering? All of that. And, you know, the fact that I can tell this story however many years later it is lodged in my mind so I think you have to be reactive to the circumstances and appreciate both the that the clinical 
situation, but also else is going on and the communication and the emotionally charged situation and just keep track of both. So, um, uh, and act appropriately. In the huge, huge majority of the situations, it will be appropriate for the medical student to stay in the room and offer help you another pair of hands. And there are all sorts of things that could be useful, whether it's um, running with blood bottles to, to, to outside the room, whether it's scribing. So, for example, it's very common obstetric emergencies to need a very clear timeline. And even if unasked, you just started noting down a time uh, and, and an action. You know, if somebody came to me and said, I just noted times for you. It'd be like, oh, joy. You know, so so both knowing when to step in and offer help and knowing when to step back and just be observing, but you can still be useful. And and I would just think of that teamwork and, and where you might be that, that cog in the team whilst recognising that it can be a tough experience for you because you, you may feel a bit uh, as if you're not sure where to help. So, you you should have other experiences from other areas in medicine, emergency medicine or whatever else, uh, where where you can draw parallels and transferable skills. I, I, I think you're a useful part of the team. And we can't shield medical students and junior doctors from all these tough times. So just seeing bits of them and gradually seeing more is really important. That would be my, my take on it. Mm. Yeah, amazing. Thank you. Chidera and Anna, do either of you guys have any advice on sort of how to reflect on a scenario like that if you're present, if something goes wrong, either in Obstangani or anywhere in medicine, and sort of how, like, who you might debrief with, how you might manage your own emotions in those situations? Mm. Well, Chidera probably has some better experiences than me, given that she's an actual doctor. Um, But I actually was in an obstetric emergency. I actually wasn't on obstetrics at the time. I was on paediatrics and we were crash bleeped to... Um, theatre and it was just such a flurry of activity I think I didn't really know where to look eventually another consultant obstetrician came up from clinic and that was when I was like oh something's happening here and it's exactly as Lucy said I was I was a runner I went and got clothes from for the neonate um I helped with the neonatal resource because I was supposed to be on paediatrics but I think I did do a lot of reflecting on that situation and particularly the leadership that was shown by the um, consultant obstetrician was something that I actually found really inspiring and and I did follow the case up and both mum and baby had good outcome um, which was really nice to to find out Um, but yeah the leadership that was shown in that theatre is something that I have never forgotten and if I can at some point in my career be that person like that would be yeah it it was a very it was a very stressful situation and it was stressful to be there but when I was yeah sort of debriefing with myself that was what really stood out to me like everything calmed down as soon as um the second consultant came in and started kind of taking the reins um so yeah I think but I think most universities provide um services and things and you can obviously access like the BMA's counselling service um and practitioner health and stuff if you're um, struggling with experiences you've had I'm not so sure about sort of formal debriefing provided by the university I haven't ever done that I think Lucy might know a bit more about that so there's often a debriefing within the maternity service and the extent of the debriefing depends on on what's happened so we have emergencies and obstetrics and many of them we may well um, 
do a one-to-one debrief with the women on the postnatal ward but sometimes we do separate staff debriefings but I think Anna said something that really chimed which is about recognizing your own emotional needs and the fact the same event may have a different impact for different individuals so just getting used to asking yourself how that's felt I think we've all gone home and walked out a situation where it may be that another healthcare professional hasn't even even recognised your need, but needing a, a safe way to to unburden. We've all had flatmates who have probably been a bit surprised by our stories, uh, particularly if they're not in medicine. And but but just finding those routes to to tell a story. It's very interesting that there's long tradition of of telling birth stories, anyway, and and so what you're doing is often telling a story from a healthcare professional point of view, uh, a medical student or, or, or junior doctor, just reliving, talking through, but look at what Anna's reflected on. She's reflected on the leadership that was shown as part of that emergency situation. So taking something from it that is a sort of positive, you know, a, a, a positive in what is a tough situation. Chidera, what about you? Have you got any experiences that you or tips on how to reflect and debrief? Um, so I would say when it comes to these sort of things, just speaking generally of any sort of, I guess, experience ex- exposure that you may have to, unfortunately, a poor outcome. Um, I like team debriefs. I think they're useful just so that because I think it's very easy often to leave a situation thinking I should have done X, I should have done Y. And actually, I've always found team debriefs are quite good for setting everybody's mind at ease because you suddenly realise that everybody around the room is feeling that they maybe did not contribute X or did something wrong. Um, and, And I think just that in the moment or maybe five minutes later in a coffee room is really useful. I think particularly um, if you're at a hospital or a trust that has a really strong mess culture, that again has been really useful for debriefs for me. Um, particularly in F1, um, our mess culture is quite strong and the F1 group was really quite tight. So often I could go to the mess if I'd had a really difficult situation and there'd be a few people in there that I actually knew quite well and I could speak to them about it and again that's really useful um and I guess what Anna said about debriefing with yourself is actually really useful um so I don't know if you know but in foundation we use something called Horus um where we fill in all of the little things that we have to get ticked off but there is a reflection panel on there and actually you have no requirement to do reflections but it's a really nice structure because it asks you specific questions about sort of what you think you could have done, what you've learned, describing the scenario. And even just the structure of that has helped me with my reflections in terms of teasing out areas where maybe I felt uncomfortable, didn't entirely understand why or entirely know how to fix that for next time. So I think debriefing with friends, debriefing with your team, particularly if you have a senior or or a mentor that you're close to, but actually taking the time to really think through yourself is really helpful as well. Thank you. Yeah, Lucy. Yeah, I just want to touch on an area that um, I don't know, Nikki, whether you'd plan to talk about it, but but the real the real tragedies, and um, because it's almost like a sort of uh, you know the, not quite an unspoken taboo, but but I look after women who have a stillbirth um, and um, sometimes present. It, it is one of the toughest things um, that that I do, and um, it, it is normal to be emotional to have emotions and to have a very strong response to the very tough times you know this isn't like 
the expected death of someone who's elderly, uh, where for many reasons somebody may die in more expected peaceful circumstances, there is rarely anything that is, you know, it is rarely anything other than a tragedy, particularly for the individuals. We can learn to respond professionally. There's been debates in the BMJ about is it okay to cry in front of a, of, of a patient or a woman, and, and uh, we can come back to that. But one of my the reasons I'm an obstetrician and that I'm so feel so strongly about about my what I do is how you can make a difference to those women, particularly for the care at the time of their loss, and also for me care in a future pregnancies. So one of the most important parts of my my role is that if if they are going through a tough time, I make that, I, I try and do everything I can to make a positive contribution at what is a very difficult time. And that I also get get what is often the joy of a, a woman taking a baby home next time. So it is a difficult topic and we often shield medical students from it. But sometimes if, if, if medical students join me in clinic, I, I do a clinic at a lot of the women have had a previous pregnancy loss and and I've had students with me when a woman has sometimes just opened up uh, about what that's like and I wouldn't shy away from it because although it is a tough discussion it's extraordinarily you, you feel as if again in part of a of a woman's journey but um Last week, I saw somebody uh, uh, and she had just had her second baby and the joy of her holding a baby in her arms and taking a baby home this time is just phenomenal. It's why I do my job. And I still get choked up about it because it's so special. Oh. Yes, that's amazing. Amazing. I actually really wanted to get a patient experience and their opinion for the episode. Um, and with the BMJ patient editor team, we did a call out for anyone who'd given birth with a medical student birth. in the room. <laughs> um, <laughs> we were looking for someone who'd given birth with a medical student in the room. And we ended up getting a few responses saying they couldn't remember if a medical student had been in the room or not. <laughs> and we had no one who said that they specifically remembered that wanted to contribute. So I wonder if that kind of answers my question of that having us there is probably the least of some of their worries and they've got more important things to worry about. So if you ever feel invasive, perhaps that's a good thing to think about. Okay, panel, so what would your tips be if a medical student is feeling nervous before starting their obs and gynae block? Me, next year, when I'm about to start, I'm listening back, what are you going to tell me? I think... um... I would embrace the block as an extraordinary opportunity to get an insight into one of the most special parts of a woman's life and just not just the woman but her wider family and to think about this as an extraordinary part of medicine because she doesn't have a disease and to reframe pregnancy not in illness terms, not in disease terms, but as um, an event in a woman's life that then puts that whole, and to try and tune into that experience uh, and to seek out those bits of, of particularly maternity rather than gynecology, but, but to focus on maternity and birth about understanding that, that the range of women's perspectives and that to know that this will be one of the most special times in the woman's life and you're going to be allowed 
into that part. So, so to understand it in in that context would be my suggestion. Mm. I think just speaking more broadly about my experience doing my obstetrics and gynaecology block, which was also combined with some um, sexual health as well, is that really like lean into it because there re- there really is something for for everyone. You know, even if you know you're not going to be in an obs and gynae doctor, there's you know perinatal psychiatry there's a lot of surgery in um both benign and malignant gynecological disease and i think if you try hard enough you really can find something that that is interesting to you um i mean i love obs and gynae so i'm probably the wrong person to talk to about this (laughs) and Shadara, what about you what tips would you give um i mean really to to echo the other two i think regardless of whether you have an interest in obstetrics or gynecology or not um I mean, I think often as med students or doctors, we talk about the privilege that we have of having insight into our patients' lives. And I think for me, you know, I've known I wanted to be, for example, a neurosurgeon since I started medical school. But I still think the opportunity to see someone having a child, particularly their first child, is a privilege that as a medical student or as a doctor or as a healthcare professional is unmatched. So I think it's something to be excited for and, as Anna said, to lean into because... It's, I think it's, an, it's a privilege that you are unlikely to match ever again, really. I just want to pick up on what you said, Jara, because you, you've just uh, encapsulated beautifully why all medical students should embrace it, which is that I would love that any doctor is, is or very likely, apart from the geriatricians, um, to have pregnant women in their normal as part of uh, of their practice, so so we I have to call the neurosurgeons sometimes, um, and there are very few doctors, you know, that that I don't. So so pregnant women are not scary, and they will be much less scary if you, as Anna says, wonderful phrase, lean into the to, to the attachment, so that you don't leave obstetricians still scared of pregnant women because our experience as obstetricians uh, is is that many other doctors are now that's part from sort of lack of familiarity but we're here to be that bridge so whether you know if you've got a woman who needs neurosurgery I'm there to help you because you're going to do your bit and I can do mine but if you've if you've had a positive experience during obs and gynae that will help you so so you know there are very few um doctors who who won't need that experience just to remind them that pregnant women are just human beings like the rest of us That's all from us on Sharp Scratch today. If you'd like to hear more from us, subscribe to Sharp Scratch wherever you get your podcasts and in two weeks' time, you'll be notified of our next episode. While you wait for the next one, do check us out on social media. We're BMJ Student on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Let us know what you think about the podcast using the hashtag Sharp Scratch. I'd love to hear your ideas for what we should cover later on in the season. It's also really helpful if you can leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts as it helps other med students find the show. Until then, bye from us. Bye. Bye.